When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. It's kind of taking a step of directed evolution, but instead of focusing on the nematode, you're focusing on the symbiont to improve the nematode. So that's where I think the novelty in this paper came from. That is David Shapiro-Alan discussing a paper by Ricardo Macado and colleagues. And this is Forum. Here we are, episode five of Forum, our podcast where we take papers recently published in either Nature Biotechnology or other research journals and discuss them with leading researchers in the field. For this episode, I am with Susan Jones, senior editor at Nature Biotechnology. She's a research editor. And yeah, let's just transition to Susan and I setting up this paper, and I will talk to you at the end. Susan, hi. How are you? Hi, Brady. I'm feeling good. So I looked at this paper. We've got uh, Western corn rootworms, we've got nematodes, and this has agricultural applications. That's right. So the Western corn rootworm is one of the most uh, devastating pathogens of maize or corn, and the larvae cause massive uh, crop losses. And although there are methods to control uh, Western corn rootworm, these are quite basic methods such as crop rotation and uh, the use of uh, BT corn. But unfortunately, the Western corn rootworm be- can become resistant to those uh, methods. There's no pesticide to use. There are, they, you can use pesticides, but obviously farmers would prefer not to because they yeah. can also um, you know, reduce the value of their crops. Yeah. And so, so one other method that's commonly used is nematodes, which can kill these corn rootworm larvae. One problem with these nematode, the use of nematodes is that the corn rootworm can sequester toxins that are produced by maize and then use those to defend itself against the nematode biocontrol agent. So the nematodes are already used as a sort of pest control for the rootworm, but in this paper they have engineered the nematode to be somehow more effective? That's right. So the nematodes contain uh, symbiotic bacteria, 
and those bacteria are present in the nematodes all the time and they can, can they can contribute to the fitness of the nematodes and to how well they can kill the uh, corn rootworm and in this paper the authors have taken the symbiotic bacteria out of these nematodes and evolved them to resist the toxins that the western corn rootworm larvae use to defend against the nematode pest. Okay, and so who are the authors for this paper? So the authors for our paper are Ricardo Mercado and his colleagues, including Matthias Ebb from the University of Bern. And we published it, this is a Nature Biotech paper, and we published it in mid-February, is that right? That's right, yeah. And who are you speaking with? Who's the guest today? The guest today is David Shapiro-Ilan from the USDA, who is an expert in um, the interactions between nematodes and Western corn rootworm has spent a large part of his research career working out how this dynamic between the crops, the pests, and the pathogens of the pests can be used to improve control of um, insect pests. Can you tell me the name of the paper, the title? So the title of the paper is Engineering Bacterial Symbionts of Nematodes Improves Their Biocontrol Potential to Counter the Western Corn Rootworm. Okay, that's it. Thank you, Susan. Off you go. I think we might as well get started, David. As you know, um, this paper is all about engineering a bacterial um, symbiosis to form a better biopesticide and, Im and improve its use to treat the corn western corn rootworm. So I wonder whether you could start off by telling me something about the western corn rootworm and this interesting symbiosis that the nematode has that helps it to predate on the western corn rootworm. Okay, so the, the western corn rootworm, you know, it's been historically a... a huge pest in corn in the U.S., and now it's in Europe and wreaking a lot, of, a lot of havoc. So it's a relatively new pest there, but it's always been a, an extremely important, we would consider it a, a key pest in corn. Um, so opportunities to control it are always being sought, and in this case, particularly a biological solution that has a minimal impact on non-target organisms in the environment, such as these uh, entomopathogenic nematodes. So the entomopathogenic nematodes have a really fascinating biology based on this symbiosis that they have with their bacteria. So the, it's a true mutualism between the bacteria and the nematodes. The bacteria cannot survive in the environment without the nematodes, but the nematodes depend on the bacteria as the primary killing agents of the insect host, such as western corn rootworm. The bacteria carry most of the virulence factors. The nematodes will also contribute to killing the host in most cases, but it's the bacteria that the primary killing agent. The bacteria also produce certain uh, antibiotics second uh, metabolites that are suppressing the immune system and also keeping out other 
microbes like fungi or other bacteria from colonizing that host so that the nematodes and the bacteria get all the good stuff inside the insect to themselves. So, and the nematodes also will produce some toxins, some anti-immune factors, but again, uh, they're depending on each other to, to survive. So in order to kill the western corn rootworm, you need the nematode and its bacterial symbiont, uh, in this case, a Photorhabdus species. So can you tell me how in the past people have tried to improve the killing potential of the, uh, this nem- entomopathic nematode? What kind of methods have been used before this paper? Right, so before this paper, when, when people have looked at improving this system, the, the nematode and bacteria, they've primarily focused on improving the nematode themselves. So you can improve the nematodes through genetic selection or directed evolution, or you can do it through hybridizing them, you know, mate, basically a mating or breeding program for the nematodes and then selecting for nematodes that carry improved traits such as uh, increased virulence or host finding ability and so on. Or you could do genetic manipulation, you know, manually through transgenic methods. And that's been, as I say, focused really on the nematode. There also have been some attempts to improve the nematodes by transferring one bacterium into another nematode. So say you have a bacterium that has a higher virulence, and then you take that bacteria and put it into a nematode that has a increased environmental tolerance, and then you have an improved combination. Now, this can only be done within a species because the the nematode species would reject a, a different species of bacterial symbiont, but within the same species, you could transfer these bacteria from one strain of nematode to another. This group then took the whole approach further by improving the bacteria through directed selection, directed evolution, and then transferring that to the nematode. So that had not been done before. So it's kind of taking the step of directed evolution, but instead of focusing on the nematode, you're focusing on the symbiont to improve the nematode. So that's where I think the novelty in this paper came from. Thanks. So the key advance then is looking at the whole system and taking the bacterial symbiont out and evolving it to improve it. And in this case, they did, I believe, isolate several different bacterial symbionts from several different nematodes, and then they worked on each of those symbionts. But what did they use as the selection during their experimental evolution? So they try, they're trying to get the nematode bacterial system to be able to overcome secondary metabolites that are produced by the corn plant. These secondary plant compounds suppress the nematode bacteria system so that they're not able to kill the insect because the insect is sequestering these compounds so that it it has a kind of acquired immunity, acquired resistance to the nematode bacterial complex. And then now you have what they've developed, uh, this group, to have bacteria that can overcome the uh, secondary metabolite and therefore be able to, to, uh, to kill the insect readily. So it's a really complex system with lots of partners. The maize 
makes the secondary metabolites to defend against the western corn rootworm. And the western corn rootworm sequesters those secondary metabolites uh, to defend against the nematode. Is that correct? Yes. And so here they have evolved bacterial symbionts that um, um, are able to resist the sequestered secondary metabolites. What happens after they've evolved these bacterial symbionts? Did they reintroduce them into nematodes that didn't have symbiotic partners? Right. You can you can make the the nematodes azeanic, or, or you can grow them at least you can reintroduce the, the nematodes to whichever bacteria you like, so then they reintroduce the uh, resistant strains of photorabdis, the bacteria, to the entomopathogenic nematodes, and then they're able to find a combination that was um, able to kill the western corn rootworm more effectively, even though it was sequestering compounds, the Emboa compounds that were uh, that would normally cause the bacterial nematode complex to be handicapped. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. And did they did they test this in a in a realistic field situation, or is that something that now needs to be worked on to establish whether their improved nematode bacterial partnership is necessarily going to be a better biopesticide? I think you know always. Everything that we're looking at in the lab needs to be tested in a field scale and determine whether or not this is really going to offer a sufficient advantage uh, in the commercial realm. Were they able to tell us some interesting biology about what it is that the mutations changed in the bacteria to make them um, more resistant to these secondary metabolites? Right. They were able to pinpoint... Uh, the, at least some mechanism of the causal factor, which was 
mutation. They felt that it was multiple mechanism, but one of the mechanisms they did pinpoint mutation on a specific gene, which I think also added to the novelty and interest of the paper that they went that extra step to look at the mechanisms, which really hadn't been uh, done before. And once you start identifying these mechanisms, then you know it opens the door, I think, for others to follow and um, maybe direct evolution towards these specific genes that may be vulnerable. So it's possible someone could think now that they could go in and rationally engineer symbionts of entomopathogenic nematodes to improve those partnerships without having to, you know, go through the lottery of a directed evolution process. Yeah, that's right. They could do that. Of course, that would probably entail more regulatory hurdles once you do that. And is there any other benefit besides not having um, regulatory hurdles of using directed evolution? Is it perhaps more likely if you have um, selected for a fit pathogen that can resist these secondary metabolites that that phenotype will be more stable than if you engineered something that could then be, you know, quickly excised by the bacteria if it reduced fitness? Possibly. I'm not sure. I think that would have to be tested whether the engineered or the uh, or a more natural directed evolution approach would end up being more stable. But stability, I think, is going to be an issue, you know, as they try and move it to the commercial realm. Will these nematodes remain stable when you're taking away selection pressure? They have looked at that to some extent, but I think once you have multiple generations and exposure to uh, the gamut of selection pressures in the in nature that that uh you know we don't know whether they're going to retain this trait or not. So fitness is the big question going forwards. So in this case, they use directed evolution to evolve um, resistance to secondary metabolites. Are there any other particular selections that might be applied that you can think of that could also improve these nematode bacterial um, mutualisms? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, I think, uh, uh, limitations that one can cite with the nematode bacterial complex. In many cases, the nematodes will perform just as well as competing tactics such as chemical insecticides, but in other cases, they won't. And uh, some of the factors that contribute to that would be low toxicity, which could be addressed in a manner similar to what was used here, where you might have directed evolution to develop more virulent bacteria and then reintroduce those so they'd be have a greater toxicity level to the target pest. Also, it's been shown that the fitness of the bacteria really directs a larger portion of the nematode fitness than one might think is intuitive. One would probably think right off the bat virulence, but there's also been shown that the fitness of the bacteria can impact environmental tolerance of the nematode, which um, is another factor that's been cited as a limitation for the nematode's efficacy under field conditions is that they may not withstand uh, desiccation or uh, UV radiation and things of that nature. And conceivably, a superior bacteria will help that nematode. And also with other factors that would be important to the nematode's 
uh, efficacy and pest control, such as uh, persistence in the environment. And I wondered if you could also speak a little bit about how these biopesticides are actually produced and um, applied on a large scale. The nematodes, you know, they're produced in Europe, North America, Asia, and uh, primarily through in vitro methods. Most of the nematodes are produced in liquid fermentation. So you're growing the bacteria and then adding nematodes to that broth and and, uh, producing them that way. There's also an approach that's used in solid fermentation, uh, which is fairly popular in Asia, where you impregnate sterile sponge with a bacterial broth and then add the nematodes. And then you can also just grow them in insects on a mass scale. And in North America, you still have some companies that are producing them in vivo in that manner. And what's the overall appeal of using a biopesticide as as opposed to a chemical? Is it simply that it's you're not introducing chemical pollutants into the soil? Are there any downsides of applying large amounts of nematodes to cropping plants? Um, they have, based on studies done so far, they really have not been cited any major negative effects in applying the entomopathogenic nematodes. Their populations tend to dissipate, so impact on other natural areas, you know, is generally considered to be negligible, as well as impact on other non-targets. So you're reducing contaminants that would be uh, exposed to humans as well as other non-targets. We don't really, as far as the, like I say, the literature does not really report any major negative impact of the nematodes on native or non-native species. So once they have killed the western corn rootworm parasite that is, that is, you know, predating the maize or the corn, then they just gen- generally die off once their prey is gone? The population level will generally reduce. You may still find them in the field, but generally have a population that's going to give continual control. So you have to reapply them each year. There are some exceptions where the nematodes have persisted for multiple seasons and multiple years, but those are the exceptions. And the nematodes have quite a broad host range, or is it more specific? Most of them have a very broad host range. There are some that are more specific than others. This nematode, uh, H. bacteriophora, has a very wide host range, as do most of the heterobdidids. Um, the other genus of entomopathogenic, entomopathogenic nematodes, the stunnamatids, also some of those species have wide host range, whereas others may be restricted to only one insect order. But if someone was developing a biopesticide, would you be looking for a nematode that had quite a narrow host range? Or, you know, is it a problem if it's got a broad host range in terms of, you know, predation of perhaps beneficial neutral insects that you, you don't necessarily want to alter the population of those? Right, that would be the potential drawback of having a wide host range would be to impact uh, beneficials. So far, and there have been multiple studies, even those entomopathogenic nematodes with broad host range have not had a, a notable impact on beneficial 
species. We've done some work with lady beetles and other uh, insects that are considered beneficial, and the impact is generally considered to be negligible. And then, of course, from the commercial standpoint, the, the industry wants to have nematodes that have a wide host range so they could sell to a wide variety of cropping systems and different pests. And you would only be applying your nematodes when you knew you had an infestation? Right. For the most part, they're too expensive to apply uh, preventatively. Yeah. There are some exceptions in that too, but for the most part, the nematodes are applied as curative agents, not prophylactically. So do you see going forwards, and, and this will be my final question today, do you see going forwards the, the advance that they report here where they have managed to engineer the bacterial symbionts of the nematodes to improve that partnership? Do you think that could be become a generalizable way to, to improve other mutualistic relationships? Yeah, I do. I mean, I think this idea of manipulating a symbiosis for our benefit, I mean, uh, that certainly could have some traction with other symbiotic systems, and I think it, it does open the door to that. Well, thanks for talking me through this. Thanks, David. Bye. Bye-bye. Episode 5 of Forum is complete. David Shapiro-Alan, thank you for being our guest. Couldn't have done it without you. If you'd like to discuss this paper, this podcast, or anything that Nature Biotechnology does, you can find us on Twitter. Our handle is at Nature Biotech. We've taken this paper and put it in front of the paywall for the next seven days for non-subscribers. You'll find a link to that under the show notes. Episode six is coming soon, so keep an eye out for that or an ear out for that, I guess. Until then. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag. A watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowlin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowlin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlinBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.